Now reading from the Gospel according to Mark, this from the fourth chapter, 35th verse, we'll read through verse 41. Later that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. They left the crowd and took him in the boat just as he was, and the other boats they followed along. Gale force winds arose and waves crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped. But Jesus was in the rear of the boat, sleeping on a pillow. They woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? He got up and gave orders to the wind and he said to the lake, Silence, be still. The wind settled down and there was a great calm. Why are you frightened? Don't you have faith yet? Overcome with awe, they said to each other, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I'm not sure if you have noticed. I'm not sure how much you've listened to other sermons in your previous years and days. But this Bible story has been hijacked repeatedly. It's been stolen, misappropriated, misapplied, misconstrued, misinterpreted, and gutted of most of the original meaning by most modern Christians. And that would be bad enough, all on its own. But the part that is even worse is that these crimes are not only against this Bible story, but against so many others. The power of this story and any other story in the Bible, for that matter, whether in the Hebrew Scriptures or in the New Testament, is lost when we do not understand what it must have been saying to the original audience hearing it or reading it the first time around. Just make sure you have Jesus in your boat and you can sail right through the roughest of seas, we've been taught. And by boat, they mean heart. You know, get Jesus in there. Just love the image of Jesus that we've taught you about in your heart and, and love him hard enough. Love him sincerely enough and, and you'll go sailing right through life's roughest situations virtually unscathed. That is, if you're sincere. And of course, I always want to say, who is it that gets to decide when I'm sincere or not? But in my 25 or so years as a minister, folks who hold on to the notion that if they can just love God enough, if they can just love Jesus enough in their heart, that they'll just sail right through life unscathed without harm, they generally either eventually become traumatized from all of the hardships and the fact that what they've been taught isn't matching up with reality and struggle with to keep faith at all, or they outright become atheists and even bitter towards the faith because they've been spoon-fed a bunch of baloney. You know, if only they'd love Jesus more, if only they would, you know, have been more sincere. And all these terrible interpretations of Bible stories like these, it's more than just spiritual malpractice. It can be deadly. In fact, as you've probably heard me say before, bad theology literally kills. That's not a joke. Now, and we'll see from this Bible story the same thing we know to be true in our own experience. Things are never 100% what 
easy, nor are things ever 100% challenging. Just like we're never quite 100% filled with fear or 100% filled with faith, usually it's a mixture of both. It's a mixed bag that we go through life with. And if you get nothing else from what I say today, please hear this. Faith and fear are not a binary choice. Faith and fear walk hand in hand. Here's what I mean. If we wait until the challenging stuff facing us in this world and in our lives, both personally and in the bigger picture sense of the world, if we wait until everything is 100% resolved before we take one baby step forward, our lives will be completely wasted, waiting for perfect conditions that will never arrive. Here's what people, even well-meaning people, neglect to realize about this story and other Bible stories with water in them. Whether we're talking about this particular story or the creation stories in Genesis, notice I said stories because there are at least two. The author tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the dark waters in Genesis prior to the existence of all this. Or whether we're talking about the story like the Red Sea, where the waters are parted, they're running in fear, they move forward in faith across this blockade. Or maybe whether we're talking about baptism and the waters of baptism, in the scriptures, water is always used in deeply symbolic, powerfully meaningful ways to symbolize chaos, uncertainty, fear of the unknown and the known, and usually the crossing from one part of a journey to another. A rite of passage often accompanies water stories in the scriptures. And so here in our story today, the disciples are faced with a decision. The author of Mark's gospel has them watching Jesus calm the wind and the waves for a moment, but there's actually no promise, I promise. There's actually no promise from Jesus guaranteeing safe passage across the sea. Here they are, brand new disciples, inexperienced, uncertain, with nothing to show for their efforts. It's malpractice to read anything further into this story. Ironically, the only folks in the boat bothered by the wind and the waves, I find it humorous, are the disciples. And I've always laughed reading it when Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat in this story. I have so many questions. I wish I could answer them, but it would be unfaithful to really tell you a conclusion about something we don't know the answer to. But I've always wondered, were the wind and the waves really not that big? Was Jesus really that unflappable? Were the disciples really that big of wimps? I'm not sure we'll ever know exactly what's going on, but here's what we do know. One chapter earlier, In Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 14, here's what the author said. Jesus appointed 12 and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach, and to throw out demons. Pretty exciting stuff. So then they had basically been listening to him teach so far in their brief career as apostles. And they'd been watching Jesus interact with people and heal But to this point, we're not told they had done much of anything besides spectate and just hang out with Jesus. 
And they hadn't done much of anything themselves by the sounds of it, and so they hadn't really settled in to their new roles with their new titles and their fancy you know, responsibilities. Where they were getting ready to use, hoping they could use them. I can just imagine how eager they must have been. But if you fast forward ahead of this little boat ride, on the other side of the scripture that we've just read, just as soon as they get to the shore, I'm sure they were wondering why they made the journey, because people meet Jesus just as soon as they're getting off the boat, and he's picking right up where he left off with a good old-fashioned exorcism, just as soon as their feet hit the ground, which, by the way, we understand that most of the time were physical ailments that they considered to be spiritual we may not know much about exorcisms or healings, and we may never command the crowds and teach like Jesus taught, but I think we probably all know something about being forced, even when we're not ready, to move forward in our lives during chaotic times when we feel as though we have virtually no control. I mean, isn't this kind of thing what we're doing right now with our lives? in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, this past week, I don't know if you, I'm probably still the only nerd that follows this stuff, but this past week, Oklahoma had two consecutive days with over 200 new cases of COVID-19, and it appears as though the coronavirus still has a pretty decent grip on Oklahoma. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that it's because only 31% of those eligible to receive vaccine have done so in our state. Basically, all of those getting ill, and all of those in the hospital, especially those in the hospital in serious condition, all have one thing in common. They're not vaccinated. And we cannot force anyone to get vaccinated, but what most of us have chosen to do in this congregation is to get vaccinated ourselves, because you've told me, either in passing or on purpose, and then to press on, moving forward, as best as we can figure out how, in order to regain at least some semblance of the lives we had prior to March 2020. And as we press on knowing full well that not everything about COVID-19 is fully and firmly in the past, realizing it's not fully resolved, in the meantime, we have some decisions to make. Will we listen to the scientists if they start to tell us to be more careful now that we've decided it's not convenient? <laughs> As a society, I hope so, but I hope we'll press on in the meantime as long as we have the, that direction. This is, I believe, what the disciples must have realized, that we do not always have the luxury of completing one thing fully before we step into the next important task right in front of us. And this brings with it a certain sense of chaos, if we're honest about it and a never-ending sense of transition when you really begin to look at how life works. This is a challenging, chaotic, and frankly, terrifying reality sometimes. This is what real life looks like, though, for those of us who dare to remain engaged in the struggles of the world for the sake of progress. We're almost always starting something new and difficult and complicated and challenging before we have fully completed something else we've already been dealing with that's usually right here on our hip, pretty close by. So you see, the presence of Jesus in that boat with the disciples was not a guarantee of safe passage. It was not intended to be interpreted that way at all. That's reaching too far because throughout the Gospels, Jesus often reminded the disciples that they would experience difficulty. They would experience hardship, 
even pain in trying to do the right thing. In fact, I, I remember this morning, I used to quote the scripture from the gospel according to John so often, one of my congregations gave this to me, just the first part of a verse that said, where Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Of course he goes on, safe but fear not. I always quoted the first part, so they gave me that on a, on a picture frame. In this world you will have trouble. But you see, his presence in the boat was a symbol of God's presence with them. And God's presence does not guarantee safety. God's presence does not guarantee no harm. God's presence does not uh, stop the bad stuff in this world from happening. That is not how I understand God's presence to work. But even for us, God's presence with us in our lives does not take away the potential for chaos, for difficulty, for uncertainty, for harm. But God's presence is a calm assurance that we can embark on difficult things when we must. We can find the strength and the determination to start the next difficult, even chaotic thing in front of us without having to have everything wrapped up behind us with a nice, neat little bow that says 100% complete on it. Progress has no prerequisite for completion of the past. Faithfulness does not mean the absence of fear, nor does faithfulness mean that we have neatly checked off everything on our to-do list before we start the next hard thing. In fact, faithfulness is quite often accompanied by fear. And yet, some of the greatest moments of personal progress, as well as progress as a people, even as a nation, if you think about it, they've been experienced while in the throes of other ongoing challenges and struggles. For example, there are many of us who are parents today, and I especially think about this since today's Father's Day, that would have never started a family if we, could, if we had to wait until we were 100% certain we could afford to have children. I remember having those conversations. If, if anyone here is a parent, you well, should we have kids yet? That's how it went in our house. Well, we can't afford it. What are we going to do? The thing is, we've never been able to afford it. But somehow, we have. We thought we couldn't. Yes, <laughs> they don't get cheaper, I've learned, just because their age goes up. Things get more complicated. Life gets more complicated. And we worked it out. Perhaps we're still working it out to afford these kids. But you know something, all along the way, any parent can tell you the challenges never cease when it comes to nurturing and raising up young people. And yet no matter how painful or how difficult the challenges might feel at any given point in time, those of you who are parents know what it is to truly treasure those relationships with your children. If, if we waited until we could afford to have kids, most of us, we wouldn't have kids. Some of us don't, but those of us who do, we'd still be waiting. Maybe you don't have kids, but maybe you have that someone special or you had someone special. Maybe you once had a job or you currently have a job, for example, that you love. And if you had waited for all of the stars to be aligned and every single part of a situation to be resolved and, and, and on firm footing before you took the next big challenge in your life, you'd still be waiting. Because some things don't seem to get the kind of resolution we wish they could get. Most of the things we currently enjoy as blessings in our lives would not be in existence if complete calm and complete resolution of every little thing in our lives were a prerequisite before we can embrace more progress. This is just how things work. 
And the disciples were called to do what good they could right where they were with the time they had. And then they were called to jump in a boat before they had even really begun their work. And then they traveled across that sea of chaos and transition until they reached the other side. And then, as I said, as soon as their feet hit the ground on the other side, they were called to keep teaching and keep healing and accompanying Jesus and keep on being there for one another. We witnessed all of this, if we think about it, at work during the pandemic. Sometimes, this past year and a few months, faithfulness meant safety protocols meant locking things down for a season in order to literally save lives. And sometimes, at the same time, did you notice this? Faithfulness meant speaking out against racial injustice, inequality. Sometimes faithfulness means supporting one's country's position on any number of things. And sometimes even while one thing is being supported, faithfulness means speaking out against other policies and practices in our country or in our communities that are immoral and unethical. And faithfulness sometimes means doing both at the same time, depending on the issues at hand. Now friends, if you're not feeling highly comforted, that's okay. This wasn't designed to be one of those slick little sermons where you leave feeling so much better to bring you a sense of simplicity or finality or a sense of certainty along the way. Now, consider this a loving reminder for all of us that we can do difficult things when we need to. We can launch out in courage towards whatever's in front of us, not because we are assured of success or comfort or ease. We're not expected to have nothing but 100% positive thoughts bouncing around inside us for that matter before we take the next step forward. You know, the power of positive thinking is one of the most harmful things to ever make its way into the church. That kind of unrealistic expectation only leads to superficiality, to artificial surface level people who have to appear to have our acts all together when on the inside we may be falling apart. What the world desperately needs and what I believe God is looking for are authentic human beings who are willing to stay engaged in life in the good times and the bad, in the struggles for justice and for progress, however imperfectly, however fearfully, however reluctantly, somewhere along the line, some folks tried to tell us along the way that we needed to rid our minds and our attitudes of all the fear and all the negativity before we could really be faithful. And you know something? Maybe it works for somebody else. It's never worked for me. And Jesus never once expected that of his disciples. Instead, here's what I tell you. Blessed are the ones who answer God's call to move forward towards a chaotic, uncertain future, even while their knees are knocking, while their hearts are beating a little quickly, with more than just a little doubt. For these folks shall experience the holy moment where God's presence meets our authentic, messy humanity. That place, that messy place, where fear and faith walk hand in hand. God makes no promise as to the outcome of any situation, but only to go with us through whatever is ahead. This sort of theology actually doesn't sell very many books. In fact, if you think about it, it's kind of scary, maybe shaky and terrifying, 
But it's also exactly where God calls those of us to be who wish to remain engaged in this journey towards progress. Let's not wait till every ounce of fear is cleared up. That's not what's necessary to be faithful. All that's necessary to be faithful is to put one foot in front of the other sometimes. May God lead us in the days ahead. Amen. Thank you.